Christ the Lord is risen, Palm Beach Community Church. Happy Easter to you and your family. Isn't it great to celebrate the resurrection here in South Florida? I mean, just awesome. It's so good. And you know, years ago when I was a young lad, it really was just yesterday, when I was a young pastor, usually about the time of the Daytona 500, I'd start already getting all revved up about putting together the ultimate message on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, now by bike week, I was already on steroids. I mean, and I would work so hard. I would, you know, I worked so hard. And I was convinced, this is what I thought. I, I thought if I could convince rational, intelligent people of all the hardcore historical, archaeological facts that substantiate the fact that Jesus Christ indeed He lived and he died and he rose again. If I could establish those facts, if I could share how past presidents and Harvard professors and the brightest minds of our day still believe that Jesus did indeed live, die, and rise again, if I could share that and convince highly intelligent people like you, then the walls of skepticism could come tumbling down. Then the walls of of a a lack of faith would come down and people would believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's kind of what I thought. And the result of that, you know, right around Daytona 500, I would begin to spend months finding archaeological and historical and philosophical and theological data to put together this airtight argument for the resurrection of Jesus Christ only to eventually discover that not too many people coming to celebrate Easter at Palm Beach Community Church, really doubted the reality that Jesus Christ indeed was resurrected from the grave. Now, if I was to ask you, and I won't to raise your hand, but if I was to ask right now how many of you believe that historically Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, the vast, vast majority of us would raise our hands. But what I've discovered is this. Intellectually, we have accepted the historical fact that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave. But practically and personally, it's having little effect on our day-to-day lives. And I don't like to admit this, a little embarrassed to admit this, but for years as a pastor, I was missing the whole point of Easter The whole point of Easter is not the archaeological and the historical fact proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole point of Easter is the power of the resurrection to radically change your life, to radically change my life for the good. Easter changes everything. Can you say that with me? Easter everything. And just like the the resurrection of Jesus Christ radically changed the lives of the 12 disciples. You remember the story? I mean, these guys were scared. They came and took Jesus. He was crucified. They were hiding behind closed doors. They thought they were next. They were scared to death. But after they encountered the resurrected and living Christ, their lives were so radically transformed that they were willing to die for their faith. And they did. And you see, the message of Easter is that same power that changed Christ from a dead body to life, that same power that radically transformed those disciples, that same power can radically transform your life for the good today. Easter changes 
everything. Now, to be honest, one of the most discouraging parts of, of my life, my vocation, my job, which, which I absolutely love, but one of the most discouraging things is seeing people like you, good people, great people, nice people, kind people, people who want to change, they want to grow, they, they talk about change, they set New Year's resolution, they try to change, but they just don't change. It's like they are stuck. They want a better life, but they just can't seem to get there. Now, sometimes they might change for a little while, you know, and then they kind of revert back to the way they were, kind of like losing 10 pounds. Losing 10 pounds is always a great thing, right? But it's a really great thing to keep it off, you know? And sometimes people change, but it, it doesn't stick. It doesn't last. I've discovered that Easter's all about God wanting to bring about a radical, transformational change in your life. God wants to change your health and your wealth and your mind and your emotion and your relationships and your job. Just like Jesus was transformed, God wants to do a work of transformation in your life to make you a better person, to make you a better spouse, a better father, a better mother, better neighbor, better coworker, to make you a better human being. Easter changes everything. It's a change from within that truly changes your life. It's a change that sticks. And so we as a church family, we're involved in what's called 50 Days of Transformation. And I, and I hope you've picked up one of those journals, and I know many people have. We've been selling hundreds of them. And we're going to be looking at, over the next 50 days, what they call keystone habits, spiritual disciplines, that will allow God to transform our lives. And we're going to look at seven. I was going to try to go seven. Seven. Seven key areas over the next six weeks. And I hope and pray that you will join us for the next six weeks as we unpack how Easter changes everything. It's not just a, a once-a-year deal. It changes everything. It changes my life and my health and my mind and my emotions, my relationships, my finances, and my job. So as we start this 50 days of transformation, I'd like to begin with this. I'd like us to look at what I would call the transformational process. Can you say that with me? The transformational process. If you want change in your life, you've got to see the change, you've got to see the problem, you've got to own the problem, you've got to solve the problem, and then you need to do it. The transformational process. To see it, own it, solve it, do it. Because the only way to truly change is to change the way you think. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't get stuck. Don't conform, but be, what's the word? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Conforming has to do with our behavior. Transformation has to do with our character. Conforming is a change from the outside in. Transformation is a change from the inside out. Conforming is something that we do, we do for ourselves. Transformation is something that, that God does, that God does for us. See, God doesn't just want to change our behavior. 
God wants to change the way we think. I mean, we call ourselves Christians, but if we really want to follow Christ, we've got to learn to think like Christ. Because the way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. Can you say that with me? The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you, the way you act. And so we need to change our thinking. If you want to change something, you've got to start with your thoughts, not with your actions or your feelings. You see, if you're, if you're acting depressed, maybe you're withdrawing, you're isolating yourself, it's because you're what? You're feeling depressed. And you're feeling depressed because you are having and thinking depressing thoughts. That's why mental illness is so difficult. Because mental illness affects our thoughts. It affects our ability to see clearly. That's why we get stuck. It affects our thinking. And the way we think determines the way we feel. And the way we feel determines the way we act and behave. You see, the key to transformation, a, a, a change that lasts, is to renew our mind. And with God's help, if we'll learn to think the way he wants us to think, we will feel better and different. And then we'll act different. Now, how do most of us try to change? You know what we do? We focus on what? Our behavior. You know, I need to stop eating this. I need to stop drinking that. We focus on our behavior. We need to focus on the will to change, on the desire to change. We need to focus on renewing and changing our thoughts, our mind. And there's a, a biblical term for this. Matter of fact, this biblical turn is, is seen throughout the pages of the Bible, from the Old Testament to New Testament. We see this word again and again and again. In the New Testament, written in Greek, the writers use the word metanoia. Can you say that with me? Metanoia. Meta means change, like metamorphosis. You've heard of that, right? It's a change in form, a change in form from a caterpillar to a butterfly and that's a change that sticks right that's a change that lasts that's meta meta means to change and then noia is the greek word for mind a change in our mind metanoia is a change in our thinking which results in the change in the direction of our lives the writers of the new testament often when we translate it often they use the word repentance to describe metanoia repentance it means we're thinking one thing and because we're thinking one thing we're going this way and we have a change we have a change in our thinking and it's a change that radically transforms us and we turn we turn we repent metanoia a change in our thinking which results in a complete change in the direction of our life that's transformation and if we can change our thinking, we can change the direction of our lives. So for the next six weeks, we're going to take this biblical principle of renewing our mind, of changing our thinking to the seven key areas of all our lives. First, today we're talking about our spiritual health. And we're talking about that because some of us are stuck there. Some of us aren't growing spiritually. We're, we're stuck. Others of us have a hard time believing. You know, we're kind of stuck there. And then we're going to talk next week about our physical health. And we're going to look at the one key area that affects all of us physically. 
and how we can change and transform our minds. We're going to talk about our, 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 right? Our spiritual life, our physical life, and then we're going to talk about our e mental health because some of us are stuck there, like I'm stuck there, right? And then we're going to talk about our emotional health because some of us are stuck there, right? Where your emotions goes, nobody knows, right? You know, and your, your emotions are controlling your life rather than your thinking. And so we're going to talk about how to get unstuck emotionally. And then we're going to talk about... Um, um, emotional health, and we're talking about relational health because some of us are stuck there. Relationally, we just don't seem to connect, and we kind of go from relationship to relationship. We don't end well, and so we're going to talk about how to get unstuck in our relationships, and, and then we're going to talk about our financial health because many of us are stuck there, and we need to change our thinking to free us up there, and then we're going to talk about our vocational health, how to find a job that gives you passion and purpose, and how to you know, excel and be and do your best. You see, Easter changes everything. Now today being Easter Sunday, we want to talk about our spiritual health. And I'd like for us to look at the greatest, I think the most familiar story in the entire Bible that shows spiritual transformation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's found over in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bible or your electronic device, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. If you haven't yet, reach into your program, grab that message outline, and we're going to read this story together in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling the story, and the context here is um, it's called the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus is telling about how this you know, young Jewish boy was hitting young adulthood, he kind of wanted to be out on his own, and rather than being a good Jewish boy that went to law school, medical school, became a rabbi, he, he kind of wanted his dad's stuff. He wanted his dad's money. He wanted his inheritance before his dad was dead. He basically says, Dad, I don't want you. I don't want anything that you stand for. I just want your stuff. I just want your money. And the father gives it to him. And we find out in the story that this father is a picture of God our Father and how God our Father gives us the capacity to choose. As our creator, he creates us with this capacity of called free will. And we choose to believe in him, to trust him, to allow him to be our father, or we choose not, just like this prodigal son. All right? So the son... Dad gives him the money, he takes the money, and he goes and he blows the money. He blows his entire inheritance on prostitutes and partying and drugs and alcohol. I don't know if there was drugs back then. That's kind of modernizing the story a little bit, but you kind of get the picture. He blows the whole inheritance, and it was a lot of money. His dad was loaded, and he blew it all, all right? That's kind of what we're picking up here. And at this point, he's broke. His life's a mess because of bad choices he's made. He's stuck. He's living with a lot of disappointment and frustration. He's separated from those that he loves the most. And that's where we are. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 15. Can we stand uh, and, and for the reading of God's word? And can we read this together out loud? Luke chapter 15, verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. 
when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You may be seated. Don't you just love a story with a happy ending? I just love this story. And I'm so convinced that you can have more happy endings in your life if you will learn the transformational process of seeing it, owning it, solving it, and doing it. Seeing it, owning it, solving it, and do it. And that's what this prodigal son did, those steps. Step one is what? You got to first see it. Say it with me. You got to what? You got to see it. Look at verse 16. The young man became, what's the word? So hungry, beginning to see it. That even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. He's beginning to see that he has a problem. That there's a a severe famine in the land and he was going to starve to death. You see, transformation always starts with the willingness to see it. Do you see it? Do you really have self-awareness? Do you see the the problems in your life? I don't have any problems. There's no problem with my drinking. Ask the ones around you. (laughs) There's no problems with my flirting. There's no problems with my lack of exercise or my overeating or with my anger or with my obsessive working, or with my pornography, or with my overspending, or with my worrying, or my my lack of spiritual desire. There's no problem with it. There's no problem with the way that I treat the opposite sex, or my attitude towards those who don't see life my way. I mean, they're the problem, right? I'm not the problem. I don't have a problem. They have a problem. You know, one of my favorite stories, of all stories, there's the stories of these, these guys. They were out together on New Year's Eve, and they're in a pub, and they're having a great time. And, and one of these guys, he got himself plastered. Not encouraging that, but uh, he got himself plastered, and his buddies decided to pull a practical joke on him. And they got some Limburger cheese, and they put it in his mustache. And then they left. He wakes up a couple hours later, and wakes up, and it just stinks, you know? And he goes to the bartender, the bar, the guy runs the bar, and says, man, your bar stinks. And he walks outside, and it stinks, and he starts walking home, and he stops by one of his friend's house, and he goes into his friend's house, and he, he tells his friend, listen, your house stinks. I mean, it really stinks. You need to do something about it. And he goes home, and he sees his wife and his kids, and he, he, he gets by his kids, and he smells them. He says, man, you guys stink. Do you know you stink? You need to take a bath. And so she pushes him out of the house, you know. So he goes out of the house and he climbs up to the mountain right next to him. And he gets to the very top of the mountain. He takes a couple big whiffs whiffs, and he says, the whole world stinks. You know, and we chuckle at that story. But isn't it the truth? It's so much easier going through life blaming everybody else for your problems. 
It's so much easier to go through life blaming your circumstances for your problems. We just don't see it. We don't see it. And we don't seem to see that our problems go with us. We just don't see that wherever we go, uh, our problems go with us. We are the problem. Can you say it with me? We. See, you don't even want to say it, you know? We're the problem. We've got Limburger cheese in our mustache, and we just don't see it. Transformation begins with a willingness to see the painful truth about ourselves. Step one, you got to see it. You got to see the problem. If you're going to change the problem, you got to see it, and then you need to own it. Step two, own it. Look at verse 17. When he finally came to his, what's the word? Senses, man, he's beginning to own the problem. He said to himself, even, at, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. What's he doing? He's beginning to own the problem. Not just see the problem, but own the problem. I'm dying of hunger and it's nobody's fault but myself. You see, you've got to get fed up with your life in order to change your life. You've got to get fed up with your circumstances to change your circumstances. You've got to get fed up with the way you've been living to change the way you've been living. You've got to get fed up with the condition of your marriage to really begin to do something about it. You've got to get fed up to own up. Nothing happens until we get fed up. You know, about 23 days ago, I kind of got fed up with my pants being so tight. This is kind of a little personal, but I was sitting in my office, and I was working on my sermon, you know, and I just got, I just got fed up. So I took my pants, unbuckled my, 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 my jeans, I zipped my zipper about halfway down, and then I went back to, you know, to writing and working and thinking, and then all of a sudden, someone came to my office, and I stood up, and my pants literally almost fell off, you know, and they left, and I was embarrassed, you know, and, you know, you don't want to go to the pastor and get a surprise like that, you know. And, 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 I, and then I said, you know, when is this madness going to end? You know, I don't want to go up any more sizes in my jeans. I've made a commitment, 36 the rest of my life, you know. And I just got fed up with this fat on my gut. You know, I got fed up. So the last 21 days, I've lost about 10, 11 pounds. Now, don't clap. Come see me come December, all right? You know, anyone can lose 10 pounds. Nothing to keep it off. You got to get fed up to take responsibility, to change. And what happens, a lot of us in life, we just don't ever get fed up enough. And we go through life living the life of a victim. We start blaming everybody else for our problems and our marriage and our relationship and all difficult. And what happens, we become powerless. We give away the power by blaming everything around us rather than seeing it and owning it. Do you see it? Do you own it? See, if you don't own your problems, your problems own you. And let's be honest. Please don't misunderstand me. We all have problems. But if you don't own your problems, your problems own you. We rise above our problems. We're resurrected from our problems when you own them. And God has this power to transform your life. But you've got to see it and you've got to own it. And then step three, you've got to solve it. 
the prodigal son. He saw that he had a problem. He was hungry. He got fed up with his problem. He's a Jewish boy and he's feeding pigs for a living. That's how far he's gone. And he owns up to it that it was his fault that even his father's servants were eating better than himself. And so he comes up with a solution to the problem. Look at verse 18. I'll go home. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven, and heaven means God. And whenever we sin, my friends, we're always sinning against God. He's owning it. He's solving it. He said, man, I've been sinning. I'm sinning against God with my spirit of rebellion, and I'm sinning against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, after getting fed up and owning up, he's facing up to what needs to be done. It's not just talking about change. It's coming up with a plan to change, to truly change. And I'm just so excited as a church. Our church is joining hundreds of other churches all across America that's taking Easter Sunday, and they want to bring about change in people's life that's going to stick. And we're part of what's called 50 Days of Transformation. And and hopefully by now you've bought this journal. I can't encourage you enough to to buy this journal. Uh, It's written by a guy by the name of Rick Warren. Rick Warren is the uh, pastor of Saddleback Valley Community Church. He he, uh, wrote the book called Purpose Driven Life. Probably many of you have read that book. That book is the number one best-selling nonfiction book in history. (laughs) That's pretty big, huh? It's the second most translated, she agrees with me, it's the second most translated book in the world after the Bible. And he's developed this journal. And in this journal, you'll get up, we start day one's tomorrow. And you get up tomorrow morning, it has a passage for you to read. See, we want to transform your mind. You're going to start by reading something positive in the morning, by reading some scriptures. And then you're going to journal, you're going to write down your thoughts. Then you have a spiritual assessment that you take and and then hopefully you'll choose to get in a growth group and you'll discuss it. And then there's a verse of scripture, six verses, seven verses of scripture, one a week for seven weeks. Because how do you change? You change by the renewal of your mind, by changing your thinking and by changing your thinking, you can change the direction of your life. So I hope you'll pick up one of these journals and you'll join us and if you... If you can't afford it, you're here, you're in hard times, please, honestly and truthfully, come see me. I believe so much in this. I will pay, not the church. I will personally pay and buy your book for you because I don't want you to miss this opportunity to really change, to get unstuck, and to live the life that the resurrected Jesus Christ wants you to live. So see me, and I'd love to do that. All right, now, in order to change, we've got to do what? What's step number one? What's step number one? Got to see it. Step number two? Got to own it. Step number three? Solve it. Step four, you got to do it. You got to say it like that. Do it. Do it. That's right. Do it. Look at verse 20. So he did it. He returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. And he kissed him. He came up with a plan. And he did it. And did you notice the change in his attitude? In the beginning of the story, his attitude was, give me, give me, give me. Give me my inheritance. Give it to me now. Give me, give me, give me. And now his attitude is what? Make me. Make me just one of your hired 
servant. See, that's metanoia. That's a change in his thinking, which is resulting in the change in the direction of his life. He changes his thinking, it's changing his feelings, it's resulting in a change in his behavior. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Metanoia. And you can change. You can change. You need to, to face your fears. I don't know what's holding you back, but you need to face your fears. And, you know, maybe you, you've never been in a group before. Face the fear. Give 50 days. Maybe you think, man, I can't get up every morning and, and read my Bible first thing. 50 days. Face your fears. Suck it up. I mean, come on, right? You know, memorizing six or seven verses of Scripture. Face your fears. If you want a transformation that lasts, you've got to change your thinking. You've got to renew your mind. Face your fears and then take a risk. I mean, change is hard. Please hear me. Change is hard. Years of wrong thinking, cultural conditioning, inheriting, you know, bad DNA. It's all fighting against you. But if you'll face your fears, if you'll take a risk, God will transform your life. God will change your life. God will give you a hope and God will give you a purpose. But you got to face your fears and take a risk and then you need to ask for help. Ask for help. Don't go it alone. Don't be too proud. Join a growth group. Get with other people who can encourage and support you and pray for you and help you. Ask for help. Ask God for help. You know, our memory verse for this week is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Can we read this together in one voice? One voice. Anyone, that means like everybody, okay? Let's read it together. It's a great verse. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a... The old life is gone. Wow. Take that thing and just read it every day. Put it on your car. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your rearview mirror. Just don't crash. But, you know, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person, is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So you see, that's transformation. Easter changes everything. But you've got to see it. You've got to own it. You've got to solve it. You've got to do it. You've got to see it. You've got to see your need that you need a Savior. You've got to own that you have sinned before God and that you're responsible for the choices that you've made. And then you've got to solve it. You've got to realize that you can't save yourself for, through human performance, by going to church, by being baptized, by being a good person. You can't save yourself. God has solved it for us. Peter puts it this way. Peter says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To do what? Bring you safely home to God. Just like the prodigal son. God wants to bring you home today. He wants to bring you home. But you've got to see it and own it and solve it. And then you've got to do what? Do it. You've got to do it. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. You need to do it. 
You need to do it. You need to do it today. You need to do it now. You need to put your faith and trust not in yourself anymore, but put your faith and trust in a God who loves you, who created you, who created you with the capacity to choose. And you can choose this morning to follow him, or you can choose not. You can continue on that path of being stuck, or you can begin that process of metanoia, and let God to radically change and transform your life for the good. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Can we close our eyes? Can you say, God, to yourself, God, I see it? Can you say that? God, I see it. I see I, I need and my need for a Savior. God, I own it. I own that I'm a sinner. I take responsibility for the choices, the bad choices I have made. I realize that you solved the problem of my sin by sending Jesus Christ to die and conquer death and rise again. I do it. Right now, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. Can you pray that prayer? Come into my life. I see it, I own it, I solve it, and I do it. Begin your work of transformation in me. Right now, pray that prayer. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to transform your life. And can we all pray this morning, God, please change me. Can we humble ourselves? Can we say, God, please change me. Help me to face my fears. Help me to take the risk. Help me to allow your, you to transform my life for the good. Can we pray and say, God, I want to be a part of 50 Days of Transformation. Help me to do it. Help me to do it. Help me to buy a journal. Help me to memorize a couple scriptures. Help me to get into a growth group. Help me to grow. Help me to change. Help me to become unstuck in my life. God, help me to own my stuff. God, do your work of transformation in me. God, please change me. Father, I thank you for the power of the resurrection to truly transform our lives. I thank you, God, for transforming me, for helping me to see my sins and my problems and my struggles and to invite you in and to own it and to solve it and to do the things I need to do to become well, healthy, and good. God, help us. We need you. Help us to engage in this 50 days of transformation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.